Welcome to Mind Love, episode 55. Today's episode is all about finding ourselves through relationships. I lost me, my dreams, the future I imagined, the family I thought I was a part of, all of the ways that I had changed. I only understood them to be true in the context of our relationship. I didn't understand that that was me. I get to bring that with me and love other people that same way. I get to take everything that I learned and everything that I loved and embody that and let it be me instead of putting it in that person's hands. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First, Mind Love is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android. And for good reason, the app is awesome. Personally, it's my favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. Hi, friends. Relationships are deeply woven into our experience on this planet. From the day we are born, we're completely dependent on somebody else. By design, humans are actually born premature and completely helpless. Lizards hatch and hunt in the same freaking day. So, but we, on the other hand, need somebody to hold our heads up or we could die. (laughs) That is a sign to me that relationships are going to be pretty darn important in this lifetime. If you've been listening to Mind Love a while, you've probably heard me say that relationships are mirrors. I've always thought of this as a way of saying how you see other people is a reflection of how you see yourself. And that's true. But at another angle... Your relationships with other people are your opportunity to experience yourself and to grow. I don't recommend just getting on Bumble and showing up to happy hour and saying, Hey, Jared, minimal talking. I'm here to experience myself. (laughs) It's more about bringing the awareness to the whole experience. But when you're in it, the growth can be kind of hard to see. It's actually most often in hindsight that we realized what we learned from a relationship. But the great part is, the more you shift your mindset to awareness in every area of your life, especially in your relationships, you start to experience it in real time. My hubby and I still get in arguments, and we still have our frustrations, of course. But now, through a lot of work, almost every time I'll get this realization like, hold up, this is all ego. Now, sometimes this realization takes longer than other times, and sometimes I need to take a step back and let it settle, but it almost always happens. Other relationships might be temporary. They might end badly. It might feel like it's unresolved when it's over. But with myself, I've found that the more awareness I bring into my life again, the more I can look back on all of my past experiences with clarity. Our guest today is Brianna D, and she understands what it feels like to let her relationships define her. From a difficult childhood with a really complicated relationship with her parents, to a traumatic breakup that shook her whole world. 
For most of her life, she was so concerned with trying to be the person that she thought she was supposed to be that she completely disconnected with herself. And as a result, she disconnected from everyone else in the world. That actually happens a lot when you have unresolved pain and trauma. Eventually, by allowing herself to be seen and allowing other people to see her, she started to connect with herself. And in turn, she connected with everything else in the world. Today, three key things we will learn are how to go from losing yourself to finding yourself in relationships, how to approach relationships for growth, and how to have compassion for others even when you don't understand where the hell they're coming from. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. And now let's welcome Brianna D to the show. Thank you for having me. I know that your life growing up was pretty impactful to who you became today. So let's start with your backstory. Yes, it was. It's funny. Anytime I'm asked this, because there's just so many different ways that we can all tell our stories, right? It's like, there's so many things that I could touch on, (laughs) but the gist of it is my parents were really young when they got married and they were both addicts and my dad went to the army and I was born on the army base and there was a lot of chaos and just young undeveloped parents who loved me very much, but didn't know how to take care of themselves, let alone these little humans that they had. So yeah, growing up, it was a lot of chaos and mostly with my mom. My dad was gone a lot with working and my mom and I were really close and she was really a young spirit or soul. She never really developed past maybe 12 or 13 years old. So even as an adult, she was really childish and really always on a whim. And I was kind of more of the parent figure in the house And I was always protecting her. And there was, along with the addiction and just the kind of young, undeveloped parents, there was a lot of fighting and a lot of abuse emotionally and physically by both my mom and my dad. They fought with each other. And I was always kind of intercepting and in the middle of it all and trying to raise myself and my brother and my mom. So that's a general gist of just that young time. And My parents got divorced when I was 12 years old. And at that point, my mom really kind of went off of the handle, if you'll call it that. And she started using methamphetamines regularly and heavily. And that was when everything just hit the fan. And she was in and out of sober living and in and out of different people's houses. And it was just all over the place until she ended up getting clean and was diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenia. And 
at that point, that was kind of when I lost my mom. I was 13 years old. And from 13 to 22, my mom wasn't herself. She was a shell. She was kind of, she was, she was a shell. It's the only way I can think to describe it. She was really blank faced and she was really loving and still wanted to be involved in my life, but didn't really know how to. And she got overwhelmed by sounds and people and anything that was going on. So there was a lot of pain and confusion and going up and down and changing medications and getting a little bit better than a little bit worse than a little bit better and a little bit worse until I was about 21. She started really getting better for the first time and really her, she was getting on less medication and she was losing weight. She had gained about a hundred something pounds on all of the medication she was on during her illness. And she really was starting to look like she was going to maybe turn a page and maybe start healing or I don't know, recovering from this lifetime of not really being in herself or with me. And that was when she started having physical ailments and the physical ailments ultimately led to her death. So she overdosed when I was 22. And at that point, I thought that it was an intentional overdose. And I thought it was from she had had about six months of physical. She was having any issues with her inner organs. She got shingles and had nerve damage in her arm. She was just having these major, major physical ailments. And so I, in my mind, well, first I should back up and say, I found out that she'd overdosed and I was like, no, don't believe it. Not true. And also at the same time, that was like my heart and my deep inner knowing was like, that's just not true. But then my head was just constantly like, you're in denial. This is what everyone does when there's a suicide in the family. Like nobody believes that they really did it. So I really was trying to reckon with it for a lot of years during my twenties, for the majority of my twenties. And that shaped who I was through a lot of things in my life and really was a catalyst for me deciding to go to law school to work in mental health law and to advocate for other people who were struggling similarly to my mother and really wanting to help, I guess, facilitate a change in the way that we treat these people and the way that we speak to them and some massive change that I'm not even sure exactly what I thought that was. Wow, there's so much in there I want to get to. But first, when you were young, did you understand that your mom was on drugs or did it just feel like chaos? So I understood. And here I have a lot of things I could say about that too. The first thing that comes to mind is I always felt like the black sheep of the family. It was really painful for me. I always just felt like I could see what was happening and I knew what was going on and I knew it was wrong. And I was always trying to say something about it. And I was always trying to help them and change them. And my dad, I think, was just really unhappy with a lot of things in his life. And I think he felt trapped and he was just young. There was a lot to it. He's still in my life and he's a very loving person. He's just to this day not really developed in a lot of those ways. And we don't have that kind of relationship, although I love him dearly. It's complicated. So there was a lot of me kind of lecturing my parents and being like, what are you doing? This isn't right. And me telling my mom, well, you just do this to get sober and you just do that. And what are you talking about? This is easy. So I definitely knew growing up that something was off. 
but I don't think I understood it fully until when I was in law school, I found a therapist and I started really working through what I now understand to be trauma. She had told me, she didn't give me a diagnosis, but she said, because she's a holistic therapist, but she said, if I did diagnoses, you'd have complex PTSD of just from growing up with all the trauma throughout your life. And I will never forget when she told me that because I literally laughed like, okay, I'm a regular girl. What are you talking about? So I knew, I always knew that it was wrong. I was always fighting for and with people. I also did the same thing at school. I was always sticking up for people. Like I was always just fighting everything and everyone, like trying to make things better. But I also just thought that I was like a normal girl and this is what everybody does. And if you would have asked me about my life, even in college, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a normal girl. I have parents and we had our issues, but everybody has their issues. It's no big deal. So it wasn't really until, again, I started doing that deep trauma work with my therapist in law school that I even knew how to articulate or understand, wait, yeah, what I went through actually was really kind of crazy and it was really hard. and. It's not what everybody goes through. And a lot of people do go through it, but it's not the everyday experience in many homes. Again, it's so hard because so many people go through these things. So first your mom was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and then you had kind of a roundabout diagnosis of PTSD. So I have a few things I want to unpack here. First, I am a big advocate of holistic treatments. I just think the whole system is kind of set up to incentivize over-prescribing. But schizophrenia is tricky. It's a diagnosis that I'm not sure I would question. But then it does sound like you have a little hesitation around your mom's death. So my first question is, what were your thoughts on your mom's diagnosis? How did you handle that? I'm really glad you asked this because this is a huge part of something that my soul I'm so passionate about and in large part because of watching my mom. So I did mention she was diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenic. I, to this day, don't know how much of that I believe. My mom had a really traumatic upbringing. Her dad gave her methamphetamines when she was 12 years old. So it's not like she just went off of the rocker. Like, she really struggled. And I, even from a young age, was always like, she just has stuff she needs to deal with and to stop numbing it and drinking it away. But everybody in my life, all the adults who were supposed to know better, were all like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, shut up, you're a kid, right? Like, what do you know? So this was always a major pain point for me because I just didn't understand why we weren't talking about things and we weren't allowed to talk about things. And whenever I brought something up or stood up for something, it was always like, shut up, you're a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. It was a pain point with my mom. And I watched her get put on so many medications. I mean, the laundry list, I've looked at her medical records since her passing and I've done my own investigation into all of it just for myself. And it's insane, the medication she was on and how we could ever expect somebody to get better while medicated like this. And this is my, I don't want to villainize diagnoses or medications because absolutely there's a place for them. They help. And so many people use them to help themselves and to kind of raise their own lives. And I really like the analogy of them being a crutch, right? You you use the crutch when you have a broken leg to help you learn to walk again, but then you let it go and you learn to walk again. And again, there are some people who really need the medications long-term. And I can't say that my answer is the answer, but for me, the diagnoses and the medications were always a qualm. That's understandable. Well, the second part of my question is, I did a whole episode on labels that we either give ourselves or that we're given. 
and how those labels affect us. It was episode 43. My guest that day, Anna, says that the label of an alcoholic and believing that alcoholics' brains are different helps her because it gives her the tools to manage that. But for me, I feel like we have more power than we think we do, and labels can become something we're dependent on or keep us confined. So I'm curious for you, being told that you had PTSD, was it liberating? Like maybe it explained some things or did you just reject it? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So I'm curious for you being told that you had PTSD. Was it liberating? Like maybe it explained some things or did you just reject it? And how did what you had gone through with your mom affect that reaction? So when I was 12 years old was the first time that I went to a therapist who diagnosed me with something. My mom had just gone. She had just been into her clean living or I was 12 or 13. I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) She had just gone into her clean living and they had just given her her diagnosis. And I was very fired up about that, as I just explained. Another piece of the puzzle was since my parents had been divorced, I didn't speak to my dad because a lot of the kind of um, angry dispositions and a lot of the fighting came out of his end. And I had a lot of anger with him and a lot of resentment. And I really felt like my mom was the victim and he was the villain. And that was just my take of it at the time. And so when my mom was diagnosed, I had to move in with my dad, who I hadn't spoken to in years. And he had just got moved in with who would become my stepmom, who I really didn't get along with. So I went from living with my mom, who was my best friend, but who was really all over the place and really unhealthy. I mean, we had people breaking into our house. She would disappear for days on end. It was a really terrible situation in hindsight, but that was my ideal situation. I loved my mom so much. She was my buddy. We talked about everything. So I went from that chaos to the chaos of living with my dad, who I hated or I thought I hated, and my stepmom, who I really didn't get along with. 
I moved into I moved to Newport Beach a week before my ninth grade, before, a week before high school started. I moved to a very well-to-do area with a bunch of people that I just did not relate with. I hated my high school. I didn't feel like anybody understood me or had any idea of what really happened in the world. It felt like this like manicured bubble. So I had all these big things happening. And my dad took me to a psychologist or psychiatrist because I was being a, a troublemaker, a troubled kid, whatever. And they wanted to fix me. And this doctor diagnosed me with bipolar depression and she prescribed me a medication. And I'll never forget it because at that point in time, again, I was 12 or 13 and I knew then I said, no, I do not have bipolar depression. My life is bipolar depressed right now. Like, look at all these things that are happening. I just went from one extreme to another and neither one of them make me happy. And both of them are really difficult for me. And I miss my mom and I don't want to live with you. And I had all of these things in my inner world on top of starting puberty and going to high school and moving cities. And so I threw the medication in the trash and my dad and I fought like cats and dogs about it. But I said, you're not drugging me. I will not be drugged. And I've never taken medication since. No like antidepressants or anything like that. I've taken obviously little things here and there, but I've had a very strong aversion to medication my whole life just because there just was something in me that just did not believe that we are these things or that we need to be fixed. It just felt like it was numbing out what was really happening. And I did what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. I spent a lot of time really pushing down and numbing a lot of the experiences by just not dealing with them or not knowing how to deal with them. But I didn't want to use chemicals or any kind of substances to numb them down. I had the inverse experience of this. <laughs> I definitely experienced my own traumas, but I did really luck out with my family. Growing up, no one close to me had a dependency. My dad used to, but he was sober my whole life. I don't really remember my mom drinking too much back then or taking prescriptions. My stepdad was a police officer. My mom was very involved in the church. And it was right around the end of high school that my traumas hit me, a number of traumas back to back. So I was definitely depressed. Well, a doctor prescribed me Paxil and all I did was sleep. I hated it. So I started searching online, AOL at that time, for side effects and alternative medications. At that same time, my body image issues were really heavy and morphing into what turned into a really heavy eating disorder. So while searching online, I realized there were depression medications with the side effects of weight loss and appetite suppressant. Miracle drug! And thus began my downward spiral of prescription dependency, which eventually led me to Adderall. And man, after 10 years of 40 to 60 milligrams per day, sometimes more, there was nothing I wouldn't do to fill my Adderall. It was actually pretty difficult to get it around LA when I moved here, probably because so many people take it, so many people think of it as that miracle drug, but sometimes I'd have to go to six different pharmacies in LA traffic just trying to get my prescription filled. And I would. It was nuts. I had to do a lot of work on myself to even allow myself to look at that. A decade's worth of work, actually. I had been making so many positive changes that this was 
one of the last cognitive dissonances, like my nagging higher self giving more and more reasons why this little thing didn't fit in my life anymore. Well, in 2015, we were seriously considering moving out of the country and I realized I can't get that prescription overseas. So I finally said, screw it. To me, this just really highlights that we are on our own soul's path regardless of our circumstances and how we were raised. If you're a parent, you can't shelter your kids from sometimes these big mistakes. We chose the families we came into. We choose the struggles that will allow us to grow into our highest potential. And sometimes we just got to ride it out. I like how you explained a crutch. I feel like that word crutch has lost part of its meaning over time. I usually hear it referring to something that we depend on when we probably shouldn't be. But a crutch in literal terms is something meant to help when we're weak, but only until we build up our strength. So a crutch is sometimes okay, but there should just always be an exit strategy. Totally. Again, I always feel weird talking about this stuff, to be totally honest, because I am so strong in my belief system. And what I believe, I believe to be true. But I also know that that does not make it true. But I also just want to acknowledge or talk about it, have these conversations and bring up the possibility of not needing them and really just opening the dialogue instead of depending on a doctor to give us a diagnosis and give us a medication without really thinking it through and deciding what's or thinking about what's going on in my life and do I really need this? What is this? And just really having that thought process and dialogue about it. Yes, I have quite strong feelings on this topic as well. So if you're a regular listener, you've already heard it. So I'm going to lay off for this one. So with all this going on, you were uprooted and you moved in with your dad and his soon-to-be wife who you did not get along with. We moved in with my stepdad when I was young. And first of all, I was young. And second, I still had my mom. And third, my stepdad was pretty great. So I cannot imagine what it would be like to be thrown in with a woman I didn't get along with in my angsty teen years. (laughs) How was that for you? This is something that I have a hard time talking about right now because at this point in my life, I have chosen to step out and be really open about my life and my experience. And I really feel like I have a lot of messages to share and things to say. And so it feels good. It feels right for me to do that for myself. But learning the balance of what I can share about other people who are still alive and still respect their privacy and maybe they're not wanting to share things. So that has been a big thing with my dad and my stepmom because it's still complicated with us. And my truth and my experience is that it's still complicated. And living with them was really difficult. I didn't get along with either of them. There were a lot of things, a lot of weird dynamics and There's always strange dynamics when you have step-siblings too, because different parents are different with their kids and their step-kids. And I know for me, my experience was that my stepbrother was treated really differently than my brother and I were treated by my stepmom, whereas my dad really treated my stepbrother like he was his son. And there were just a lot of layers of complicated humanness and pain and fighting and all of the above. 
But I also know this with the understanding now as an adult that we're all doing the best we can with what we have when we have it. And so even with my dad and my stepmom, they only know how to be who they are and they only know how to deal with things to a certain extent. And they, to this day, don't like to talk about anything real or get into anything. They just kind of shut down and get angry about it. It was just complicated. And without getting too much more into that, it's just, it's hard as a kid too. Yeah. And I wonder too, if it's just the evolution of our species, our generation is like, well, what are you feeling? Let's unpack that. Let's get to the root. (laughs) My mom was pretty good at that, but we also just know more now. But you go back to her parents' generation, my grandparents, and they didn't really share their feelings. My grandpa worked and supported the family financially, but we're learning now that my grandma kind of raised five kids on her own. I asked her once how the hell she managed that, and she said something like, well, it was really hard. I was probably depressed. I cried a lot. But in those days, we didn't really talk about those things. We just did what we were supposed to do. So first of all, that's sad. But then our parents were between these very different generations. So I think it isn't that they just didn't care as much as they just didn't know. But now humanity itself is evolving. I'm coming in hot today, guys. (laughs) Okay, so the amount of information that we have access to now is incredible. So it really is unfair to judge most things that previous generations did. Let us not forget that we didn't even realize the importance of fitness until Jack LaLanne in the mid-1900s. We also somehow assumed that smoking just couldn't be bad for you, which I feel like should have been common sense. But at the same time, I feel like in 10 years from now, we'll be saying that same thing about cell phone radiation and screen time. We actually already are. It's just not sinking in as common sense yet. So just to put things in perspective, here are some things that we really believed about parenting. In 1910, an article told pregnant women if they thought about ugly or disfigured people, they could affect their child's looks and they might have an ugly baby. In 1830, opium supposedly cured fussy children. And we wonder why they grew up to never show their feelings. (laughs) In 1930, people actually purchased baby cages that suspended from building windows to give their babies fresh air. Picture a cage with a baby hanging outside a high-rise building. That shit's cray. And as late as 1962, a parenting book warned that if babies were given too much love, there's a danger of them growing up to be socialists. So while I do believe we are very lucky to be in a time where we have a lot of access to science and technology that supports science, I also trust that we will always learn more. And as our understanding of this universe deepens, some of the things we believe now will probably be thought of as crazy by our kids. Totally. It's fun. I love that you mentioned that too, because my dad's mom, my grandma, is my best friend. She lived overseas when I was growing up. So they weren't, not the whole time, but they were largely not around also because my dad was hiding our lifestyle from them. So my both of my parents, but my mom's side of the family had a similar lifestyle as far as drug and alcohol use, etc. So I think it was a little bit more acceptable to be around them given their lifestyle choices. 
Whereas my dad's side of the family, my grandparents both came from similar backgrounds themselves and decided to remake their lives and to go work really hard and build a company and live in the suburbs and do everything as they saw it at bet being best. And they were kind of more of your, I'm going to do the big air quotes, normal suburban family. So my dad, that was a different lifestyle than my grandparents. So once my mom passed away, my dad's mom became a lot more involved in my life. She had been around a little bit more, but by the time she came back, I was graduating high school or I was in high school getting ready to go to college. And we never really had that connection time until after my mom passed. And now she is, I literally talk to her on the phone every day. She lives an hour away from me. I go visit her once a week. I mean, she is my best friend and a parent parental figure. And it's really funny because since I started my podcast, she listens to every episode and she'll say like, oh, I was listening to this thing. And that's so interesting that you say that. I never thought of it this way. And it's so cool, but it's also so informative of a lot of judgments that I had as a kid of older people, my parents, grandparents, whoever that weren't dealing with things, weren't talking about things or really more in my college years when I was really getting into my advocacy and pushing myself out there and like, oh, these people don't even know. They don't even care. They don't care to put themselves out there. They should do better. And older I get, the more I realize exactly what you said. I'm like, they just didn't have the skills, the tools, the ability, the free time. We have access to the internet. We have so much information. We have so much more freedom, especially as women. But as humans in general, with the internet, we can also create jobs and lifestyles like we want. I mean, there's just so much more room to grow and develop and be who we are as we really are, instead of just trying to survive. I guess it's really comes down to, in my opinion, getting past that survival and getting into thriving. I agree. And it's fascinating to think about because primal humans, Neanderthals and all of that, were really the original version of this. So it's taken us millions of years and now suddenly we're lucky enough to be on this brink in the evolutionary process that our goal has moved from surviving to finding joy and living our fullest expression. And that's really cool. It makes me feel very lucky to be alive. I've been binge reading some books by Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he says that by age 35, our brains are basically just a series of habits and our whole identity becomes this memorized set of behaviors. So unless we are intentionally trying to change and intentionally disrupting our brain's natural way of doing things, then we're basically just reinforcing this ego we've created in everything that we do. And to be fair, staying the same is comfortable. So it's definitely easy to fall into. But I think that's why the universe gives us those kicks in the butts to wake us up and tell us to do something more. So I'm curious, what was your wake up call? It wasn't one moment. It was a series of moments. I had about two years and I do think that it unfolds in layers as we're ready for it, right? So it's been the past decade or maybe it's been my whole life of unwinding and unraveling the things that were wound up inside of me. But really my big, big, big expansion started with a breakup, as they often do. When I went to law school, I mentioned I found my therapist who she 
has a PhD in trauma therapy. She's very well-versed in mysticism. So this like angel woman, I started working with her and unraveling some things pretty profoundly. And about the same time that I found her, I met this guy and he was in my law school and it was a beautiful relationship. I don't really know how to describe it other than just a soul connection. I kind of, I met him and within like a month, that was it. It was like, I was home visiting his family in Texas with him within a month. We were talking about getting married and where we were going to live. And there just was no doubt in my mind, right? And I had had many people in my life who had held space for me and helped me heal on my path. Oh my gosh, I can think of so many. I've had so many angels. It's incredible. But he is the first person that really held space for me to be exactly who I am. And to really see me and to love me. I mean, he was such a mirror. And that's all relationships are. But he showed me so much of myself that I wasn't ready to see yet. He gave me a safe space or he was one of the things that contributed to giving me a safe space to start processing and healing some of my trauma while I was also in therapy, while I was also stressed out as all hell with school and work and trying to live a life. So it was like all of these different parts of my life coming together We, about a year into our relationship, hit a point where I got a job offer to go be with him in Dallas, which was what we had always talked about. And as soon as I got the job offer, I just felt a shift in him and nothing happened. He was still loving and there and I just felt something off. And so we sat down and we had a talk and I was like, dude, what's going on? What is up with this? I mean, what do you want? And he's like, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know myself. I'm not ready. This is such a big commitment. I haven't even started my life. He had all of these kind of normal things that happen when you're young and don't not mature and not evolved and whatever you want to call it. And I somehow something inside of me just said, okay, this is done. If you don't know what you want, you don't know you want to be with me, then I'm out. And honestly, I look back and I'm like, I really don't know how I did that because he was my whole world. I should also mention I wasn't speaking to my dad again during this point because of another family blow up. And I was living on the other side of the country and I was just feeling so alone. I didn't really feel rooted in my school. I didn't feel I had one friend that I connected with. Everyone else, I kind of just felt like I was floating. So he was literally my whole world. His family, oh my gosh, he has the most amazing family. That was my life and my world. Mm. So what did you do from there? How did you handle that? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So what did you do from there? How did you handle that? So when I broke up with him, I just started crumbling and it was literally like I lost my everything, my future that I was dreaming. In hindsight, I now see that what it was, was it was the loss of that illusion of somebody or something coming in and just fixing it all and making it better so that I never have to deal with it. And so instead of having that illusion, I had to deal with it. it. That was the starting point. It's been almost three years now. So really it's been since then, but the first two years after were constant crashing and then picking myself back up and crashing a little bit deeper and picking myself up. And I was really depressed. I was suicidal. I was really fighting to understand why I wanted to live. And then also fighting to understand how I could have those thoughts when I previously had felt so strongly about suicide with having lost my mom, what I thought was that way. And there was just so much inner turmoil and conflict as I navigated this darkness that was inside of me that I had been running from for so long and literally couldn't avoid anymore. 
I'm so grateful for that relationship. I mean, I learned so much about love and about being a loving person and about family. And oh my God, it was the most beautiful, loving relationship. And even once we broke up, we had our stuff. We all have our fights or our issues, but it was just love. And even after we broke up, he was always there when I needed him and vice versa. I supported him through some things after we broke up and it was very well intended. It just wasn't healthy or right for either one of us on it. It wasn't sustainable, I should say. It was right for the time. But the contrast to that equal amounts of love was losing that was the darkest, deepest pain I knew because it was like, wait, I finally found this safe, soft love that I've been craving probably too desperately my whole life. And now it's gone. Breakups again. They're just so hard. I get it. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) It's funny because I remember going through a breakup and one of my close friends saying, you know, I'm surprised you're so torn up about this with everything else you've been through. (laughs) But losing a relationship is just such a different kind of pain. You're so intertwined in it. It becomes your life. You might have to move out. You might have common friends. You might lose their family. I almost feel like there should be a different word. Breakup just sounds so trivial. I mean, I guess there's heartbreak, but. Totally. And what I really equate it to now or what I understand it as now is you lose yourself. You don't lose another person. You lose yourself. And I'd heard that so many times and I'd read things like that, but I didn't really get it until I kind of got far enough on my path that I realized, wait, I thought that I was desperate for him to love me. And it's always complicated. It's always more things. Another part of it was that he, I thought he was safe. I never questioned his love. It was a shock in a lot of ways because it went from being so safe and comfortable to being just gone. And wait, I never even thought this was an option. But the other part of it was I lost me, my dreams, the future I imagined, the family I thought I was a part of, all of the ways that I had changed from that love and all of the things that I then understood to be true, but I only understood them to be true in the context of our relationship, in the way that we loved each other and the way we showed up for each other. I didn't understand that that was me. I get to bring that with me and love other people that same way, whether it's romantic or not. With every person that I meet, I get to take everything that I learned and everything that I loved and embody that and let it be me instead of putting it in that person's hands. And really, that idea of losing yourself is just an illusion. You may have lost that relationship, but if you were throwing so much of yourself into this other person, or if you were identifying with that relationship so much, maybe you lost yourself when you were in the relationship. And maybe that's why the universe gives and takes, because it's only with that contrast that you understand what you had and what could be. It's like, okay, here's what love and security feels like. Now you go find that for yourself. (laughs) It's not your authentic self if you can lose it anyways. But I love what you said about taking those parts with you. When we understand that we can cherry pick the parts of really any experience and take what we want and take what's good for us and then let go of that which does not serve us, 
Maybe that's when we move from those temporary karmic relationships that were meant to be teachers for us, that we're meant to learn from. And we actually become ready for a soulmate because it's only through those lessons that we really start to know who we really are and what we bring to the relationship rather than what we can just take from it. Yeah. And it's funny because a few things. One, I laugh because our entire relationship with that person, one of the things he admired most about me is he's, you just know who you are. Like, you're just so strong in yourself. And I was always like, what are you talking about? And when we broke up, I really realized I'm like, compared to him, I did. He was very young and he was pretty sheltered growing up. He had had a very healthy, loving, stable upbringing. And I say that with respect and love and envy and all of the above. It's not a good or a bad thing. It's just that's where he was at developmentally. So he looked at me and everything that I had been through and how I knew myself from like for where I was, it was steps ahead of him. But I was always like, I don't freaking know anything about myself. And that just really showed or proved to be true in my process of healing from that ending of that relationship. And the other thing I want to say about that is it's funny because so many of my girlfriends, and especially my close friends, we us girls always get protective of each other. And every time I say this, so many of my friends would be like, don't give him so much credit. He doesn't deserve it or this or that or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? He does. And I do. We both do. I can't imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't met him. And I hadn't been held and supported and loved. And just, I mean, it was every single day compliments. And I'm so beautiful. And I'm so smart. And I'm so amazing. And I shouldn't even be who I am for what I've been through and all these things that I didn't believe. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just Jane Smith. I'm whoever. I was loved so dearly. And I was taught a lot by him and his family. I was really close with his mom. And honestly, she probably taught me more than even he did. And just the way we showed up for each other and supported each other. And there's so much to it that I'm so grateful for. And I'm equally grateful that it ended and that I lost it and that I went through that pain and the pain of holding on too long and of staying in each other's lives too long and of just the confusion and the rejection and the not feeling good enough and all of the things that come with any breakup, but especially when you put so much emphasis into a relationship. I wouldn't be who I am without that time either, because that was what brought me to my knees and made me really start standing up for myself and seeing myself and learning what I deserve and what I want and what I expect and all of those things that I got lucky with having with him. But previous relationships that I had had were not healthy and were super chaotic and definitely just re-emulating my family upbringing dynamics. It was a big catalyst for change, both in receiving the love and in losing it. And I think, honestly, that's the whole point of relationships. Right. Imagine if we approached every relationship, and not just romantic, but everyone that we meet with both curiosity and then gratitude. It would change our perspective on everything. There would be no jealousy, no competition, because we'd know that we're all just mirrors for each other. And then... Really, when friends say, oh, don't give him so much credit, you also can because giving someone else credit doesn't at all take away from the credit you deserve for doing the work. It's not like there's a finite amount of credit to be given. 
And now it's funny because I can look back on specific relationships and some taught me a ton, but others, I can clearly see the one thing it was supposed to teach me. Totally. And that's, I mean, that goes to say with everything in life, but everything we're saying, it comes down to the fact that relationships are so important and so meaningful and so painful, but also so revitalizing because it all, they all come back to us, who we are, who we want to be, what we value in life, what we expect out of life, what we value is that mirror. And it's also that living, breathing entity that we create because there's you as a person and then there's the other person as a person. And then the relationship itself is a independent person of its own. No two relationships are the same. Even if you put two people, the same two people in a relationship at two different times in their lives, they're going to have totally different relationships with each other. So they really are just about us, about our self-love and self-understanding and all of that jazz. So through your relationships that you've grown through and that you've lost, what do you feel has been the most beautiful takeaway from it all? I think the most beautiful thing, it's formed my belief system of the world. You know, there we all have many belief systems, but the biggest one I think that is defining in my life right now, at least, especially with the work that I'm starting to do, is that the shadows and the light are really just the same thing. And things don't happen to you, they happen for you, right? We hear that all the time too, but I really do believe it's true. And I really do believe that the darkest things that happen to us and the most painful things that happen to us are the things that create the most joy and beauty and understanding and connection in our lives if we choose to walk that path and to do the work to get through them and to feel them if we let ourselves feel them. For a long time, I didn't want to feel them. And I didn't even know that I didn't want to feel them. I thought, I really, truly thought that I had processed them and just moved on because I like thought about them logically and like ordered them in neat little compartments in my mind. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But it really was a process of feeling and being in that depression and really finding compassion for myself and for other people. And that has defined my life path even before my current work. When I was in law school, I was working in, I went to law school to work in mental health and in criminal justice. Those were my two big passion areas. And I worked with a lot of different people in a lot of vulnerable situations and a lot, also a lot of people who we or society deem as criminals or as bad guys or whoever. And to be able to look at these people and know, truly know in my heart that they are humans that are hurting and they're going through the same stuff that all of us are just in a different way. And they're truly, honestly doing the best they can with what they have when they have it. Even the murderers, even the the robbers, even the sexual offenders, even everybody. They're doing their best. And that's something that a lot of people hear and just look at me like I'm a crazy person or look at me with disgust because they just don't have maybe the experience or the perspective or I don't know. You know, we all have our own different takes on the world and that's mine. And I think or I know that that comes because of my own experiences in life and because of what I've chosen to do with those experiences and how I'm choosing to show up in the world based on those experiences, not like because of them, not in spite of them. 
I love that perspective because people really are doing the best they can at the time. And sometimes it's hard to understand. And we get into these modes of judgment where we look at somebody and you just want to say, that's really your best. This is really the best you can do. But consider, what if this isn't your first rodeo? You have no idea how good or bad you may have been in your past life. And as you sit and judge someone else, you have no idea what those souls are here to learn. And if the path they are on is possibly the only path that would teach them that, or what role they are playing in the lesson that somebody else is learning. I like to think that there is always this grand scheme that's just out of my vision. So it's okay for me not to understand. I'm curious though, in your situation, you had so much responsibility as a child to almost be the parent role and to take on even your mom's secrets. So I imagine that it must have been hard to open up after all that. So how are you now so easily able to open up and let people in after all of that? Oh my gosh, girl, that has been a big one for sure, or a big part of all of my experiences. And even with that relationship that I told you about that was so moving in my life, a big part of why I was able to open up to him because I really struggled with that. And maybe it's not why. Maybe this is my logic taking over, but I thought it was safe. He was like the nerdy, sweet boy next door. I didn't think I had to get invested. I didn't think I had to worry too much. And then, like I said, once we were in it, we were in it. But even when I broke up with him, that year into it, when we were so in our relationship, I thought of it more transactionally. I was like, okay, well, break up with him because I deserve better and I'll find somebody else. And it wasn't really until I lost that, that I started feeling it and understanding it. And then I started feeling other things. That was like the opening of the wound of all the grief that I wouldn't feel. And once I kind of, I really came through the more severe points of feeling. And I I got to a place where I'm strong enough and comfortable enough in my own to stand my ground and to be vulnerable again with other people. That was when I really think I started to learn to open up to people. Like I truly honestly believe it's only been this year, 2018 of my life that I've been learning or that I've been really open. I do think that the past few years I've been leaning in and opening up, but even my closest friends a year ago or a little over a year ago, didn't know about my mom or my family upbringing or anything. I kept everything so wound up inside of me. And I only shared that with that, that boyfriend. And I had one other friend in law school and one friend in college. So it was like, only once I felt really safe and connected with somebody, could I share even a little bit of myself. Whereas now, I mean, look, I have a podcast I have, I share on Instagram too much to some people, but for me, the perfect amount. And I'm just out there because at this point, I'm just like, wait, I do have parts of me in my life that are my sacred for me, for my sacred self. But like, I am who I am and I can be open and vulnerable. And if somebody else has something to say, or they disagree, or they want to attack or not like it, I can know that that's their thing and not my thing. And I think that's, for me, what it took to be able to open up was really getting strong enough in myself. It all comes back to self always. (laughs) I've been called an overshare as well. Surprise, surprise. Oh girl, all the time. 
I have noticed though that it's usually from people who are too afraid to open up themselves. But that's how it is with everything, right? Yes. But for me, it's so important for me to share because I've noticed that the more I held on to my own secrets, the more they really held on to me. And when I do open up, people can really only be one of two things, compassionate or judgmental. (laughs) So at the very least, it's a really quick way to gauge if someone is a good investment. I totally agree with all of that. (laughs) So for listeners who are dealing with their own shadows, where do they start to unpack and to take these sometimes dark things and bring light to them? So for me, shadow work is And this definition is probably going to keep refining and changing as time goes on. But right now, it's just being with those parts of yourself or your life or the people that you love or the people that you don't love or the world or whoever that you don't like, you don't want to see. They feel dark. They feel deep. They feel scary. And just being with them all just starts with feeling it and seeing it and not judging it. And that's really the hardest thing to do because our brains are wired for story and we want to create a story about everything that exists. And if you have a certain story, a certain way that your brain is currently programmed, looking at something and trying to see it outside of the lens of that story is just not natural. It just feels weird and it feels phony and you don't really believe it at first. So just getting curious and letting yourself see things differently, and then really feel whatever is coming up as you're looking at things instead of trying to logic your way through whatever you're feeling or seeing. Well, thank you so much for opening up and sharing these really vulnerable parts of your life with us. So where can listeners find you online? I'm mostly on Instagram right now. My website is under construction as I've had a lot of changes in my business and everything that I'm doing. So Instagram, it's Brianna saying things <laughs> appropriately titled. <laughs> and my website is uh, briannad.com. Relationships are messy. It's like this thing in the room that you don't have control over. But if you're willing to bring awareness and compassion and most importantly, love, it can actually be the most powerful vehicles we have here for growth. The more we can shift responsibility onto ourselves, stop placing blame, whether it's in our relationships or our own choices, the more power we will ultimately have. So I really try to approach everything with an open mind or curiosity and an open heart or gratitude. And I can tell you that for me, When I started nailing that down, my experience here drastically started to change. All of the links in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 055. I will also link to that super cool parenting article where you can see the babies hanging in cages (laughs) outside of windows in London and any of the books that I mentioned, including Joe Dispenza. Please, if you love this show, support our sponsors. It's a huge help. And again, I only partner with brands that I really do love and fully believe in. And if you're enjoying Mind Love, tell a friend, family member, or coworker about it. I know a lot of you share this already, and I'm so grateful for you. 
don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, for some extra inspiration between episodes, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. Reach out on social at mindlovepodcast. And last, thanks for giving your mind a little love today. I will see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 